Hi, and welcome to Madness to Magic and my podcast, I'm with Crazy, a love story. I'm your host, Paulina Milana, author of The S Word. This show is for those of us who find ourselves surrounded by madness and wanting to find the magic within. We're going to come together here as caregivers to those who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. Maybe it's someone in the family we've been born into. Maybe it's someone we love. Maybe it's someone we work with. Maybe even it's ourselves. Whether we've been thrust into this caregiver role or taken it on by choice, this podcast is where we're going to share our stories and learn to realize the magic in all the madness we may have been experiencing. I promise you, it can be done. So let's get to it. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's Paulina again, and I am here with a, um, a very dear friend from, for several, several years that, um, that we kind of uh, connected without even realizing other connections, um, right, when we first met, and that is Patty Green. Uh, you want to say hello, Patty Green? Well, now the name is Patty Wickner. That's right. <laughs> I forgot, you know. But that's I, still right. <laughs> I don't use my married name, you know what I mean? I just yes. don't, so, um, so I just assume nobody else does right because the world revolves around me well yeah we understand that (laughs) for the short time we live together no (laughs) yes that's true that's true okay so how about we kind of just start out giving some background right of um of you of your experience being surrounded by madness and not only from others that you've known or been related to, but then we can even get into kind of your own madness if you want. So you want to do, <laughs> in other words, Patty's one of us, the yes. crazy. Yeah. Yes. So, um, no, just the, the similar story, which is, I think why we connected is that one of four children, schizophrenic mother, um, one boy, three girls. I always thought that was interesting. Uh, I forgot I, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was the fortunate one in the fact that I was the youngest. And since my parents um, had two children and then 18 years later had two more children, my mother um, had me very late in life. Um, so as much as, yes, I was around and I did participate into some of her care and I saw a lot of stuff that I really didn't want to see but did um I feel to a certain extent I was somewhat sheltered because I was young enough and oblivious enough in the beginning obviously Mm -hmm. um but yes I saw a lot of things that uh kids don't normally see Mm -hmm. and and tell me when did you start to uh did that oblivion go away well what was like the uh the introduction um I think I always you always kind of know a little something is different and there's something special about your parent. Um, but the summer that I turned seven, um, that's when she had one of her major meltdowns. And apparently she had a couple in the past, but that was prior to Dorothy and I. Dorothy is my sister, four years older. Um, but I, I was turning seven, and we did not realize that my father had gotten remarried. And apparently he hadn't informed my mother and she had found out 
And that kind of tipped her over the deep end on that particular. Okay, wait a second. Were they divorced or did uh, yes, he? I'm sorry, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast on something else. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, but um, they had divorced when I was about four years old, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad was still looking out for her. We lived in the house. You know, she took care of the house. She took care of us, and the usual uh, parent arrangement that you had back then. Um, but she found out that my father had gotten remarried. And it kind of tipped her over the deep end. And what was that? What did that deep end look like? Like what? Um, again, it's interesting. I'm sure you guys. I heard you and Ross talking on your podcast, piecing together what you can remember. And Dorothy and I will go through, and we've discussed it with my older brother too, of what happened that day. But basically, first thing I remember, well, she did a lot of. She was destroying some things. Uh, my parents had 25th wedding anniversary, so she had smashed all of that. And I can't even remember. I just remember she was in a rage. She was very, very angry. And fortunately, my sister was old enough, because if I was turning 7, she was turning 11 that summer. Um, She knew enough to pick up the phone and call my father. And so he showed up, which, of course, kind of exacerbated the system, the the whole process, what was going on. Um, So he ended up having to call the police, and called the family physician, small town. We had a small country physician. And so Dr. Collard showed up. Um, at one point, the police took my father out of the situation, out of the house, which was a little disturbing to us at the time. Dorothy says, we were sent upstairs for a while. I don't remember any of that. I just remember the end um, where my father came back in and they took my mother away. And I probably didn't see her for a good year after that. Wow. So, so took her away to an actual facility. To a, to a facility. I, we were in Massachusetts, and I believe it was someplace in Vermont or New Hampshire. Hmm. So, And when was the first time you even were told, here's what happened to Mom, or went to go see her? Or To my recollection, nobody ever told us. No. Or at least didn't tell me. And it, I mean, again, they could have told me, but I have no recollection. It was just, sure. she's gone, and now this is your new house. This is your stepmother. This is the new situation, and your four stepsisters. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the family. Huh. It, it was quite a, an upside down, and of course, they weren't expecting us. Mm-hmm. You know, we all lived in the same town, um, but they didn't expect us to move in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So none of that was expected. But yeah, suddenly the, the custodial arrangement was now my father, mm. and it remained that way after that. Um, and then about a year later, finally, she was well enough that we could go visit her. Wow. So. And what was that first kind of visit like so now you're what eight or so nine? oh I don't even remember uh-huh. um but yeah seven or eight something like that but it was very calm it was a beautiful place that she was at it was out in the country she seemed very happy she seemed relaxed she was a little teary-eyed because I you know she knew what had happened and she knew that she had lost us in the way of custody and things like that um I think she always felt guilty that she couldn't overcome her illness to take care of us but I mean she was you know, like you have talked before, you know, sometimes the medications work, sometimes they don't, and yeah. sometimes they wear off. Mm-hmm. So, but at that point, things were pretty decent, and she was probably there for a good few years um, before she came back to uh, live back in my hometown again. And did people know about it, or just, you know, like, was it common knowledge? Oh, Patty Green's mom went off the deep end, they put her away kind of thing, or was it kept secret? Like... I think only a few people knew the depth of what was going on. I think a lot of people just saw it as um, 
you know, she was angry at my dad for remarrying. I'm sure on the outside, to a certain extent, it was just seen as, you know, a spiteful ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but as to how many people actually knew, I'm not quite sure. You know, mm-hmm. again, small town, a lot of people know. I'm sure there was a lot of rumors of what was going on. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a few people, because she had a counselor in town. Uh, I can't think of her name. Mrs. Hawkins. <laughs> And she would um, visit with mom, and we would visit together, and oh. I remember going to family counseling and stuff like that. Um, so, obviously, there were some people that had an idea of what was going on, mm-hmm. but I would guess the majority of the people didn't really know the depth of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, <coughs> and I am curious, so <coughs> you said, you know, for a lot it might just look like, you know, angry, bitter divorcee, right? Versus that there is a, a serious kind of mental illness here. Yeah. Well, what, was she diagnosed with something or like, how, how do you know that it wasn't just somebody who was pissed off and, you know, versus. She had hallucinations. Okay. She had paranoia. Um, <clears throat> and she was definitely at that point, like diagnosed, like even before they put her in or that was like the first encounter of now there's a being my age I don't really remember I do know um before I was even born she had had ECT oh the electric electroshock uh, therapy um she had had some other forms of therapy and things like that wait when did you learn about that like uh, quite a bit later no I don't even know when I learned about that I mean obviously I was an adult at that point Mm -hmm. um isn't it weird how so sorry (laughs) here I'm like because this is forgive me but like almost like comforting to me because in my mind I'm like time frame seems to like lose like lose its logic or its continuity do you know what I mean it's like it's not a linear thing no it's not a linear thing and I don't think unless you've been in it that people understand that yeah I mean I think you had a better viewpoint (laughs) Uh, better as in a, a clearer viewpoint because you're older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mine kind of gets melded, but like I said, sometimes uh, we just get together as siblings and try to piece together what happened. Uh, my brother tells me at one point he knew something was very wrong because uh, I guess Dorothy and I were very little. And I think mom and dad had separated. And he got a call. Now, he was a pilot in the Air Force and he was stationed in California at the time. And she had called him up in the middle of the night and said, you need to come here and fly your helicopter here. And, um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, number one, he didn't fly helicopters, but that she, not that she would know that, but, um, so, you know, he, and through the process, what she had done was taken the car and she had driven it in our back field and gotten it stuck in the mud. So she wanted him to come and take the elevator and the elevator, the helicopter and, and, uh, free her car because she didn't want to tell my dad what she had done. Um, But apparently we, as far as we can tell and piece together, you know, she left us in the house. I mean, not that it was a big deal. I mean, we had an acre of land. It wasn't like she was far away. Um, And she decided to go drive the car into the back field where we had hay and stuff like that. Wow. So so he got that call, and that's when he turned around and called my father and said, I think you need to go check on Mom. Wow. So so stuff like that had been going on for Mm -hmm. some time. Mm Mm-hmm. But and we didn't know, you know, I didn't know about her hallucinations until I was older. Because mm-hmm. um, there's four of us, and we would occasionally have um, Dan as an additional sibling. Hmm? There was a fifth sibling. 
<laughs> we don't what do really you mean? know. Um, a real human or no. a ah, okay a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing was sometimes he was born between my brother and sister, which is interesting because there's 13 months between them. <laughs> um, sometimes he was born after my sister Judy, um, but every once in a while she'd ask us how Daniel was doing. And the name would change, but usually it was Daniel, and it was a male, so whoever it was. We have no idea what could have triggered that. We don't know if there was something in her past that something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she had some some interesting things. And even later in life when the medication was working, um, she would say stuff like she'd be talking about something, and she'd go off on a tangent, and she'd have this story that we knew wasn't true, and you just kind of let her go. And then she'd come back to us, and she goes, you just know I'm crazy, right? Oh, wow. And she'd have a little laugh, and we'd have a little laugh. So she was very self-aware mm. of what was going on. That was when her meds were good. And that's mm-hmm. when you know that she was in a good place, as you all know. They have a tendency to over-medicate mm-hmm. because they have all these symptoms. Um, so her good place was usually when she was a little silly, had some little imaginations, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of paranoia. Mm-hmm. But then she was still mom. Right. You they know. didn't take. They didn't make her catatonic. Right. Yeah. Which. Mm, she yes. Was. Yeah. Yeah. And some. And sometimes, to be honest, you prayed for them to be catatonic. Like where it was just, could you just shut it down for a little while and like, turn it off? I never then, got to see. Other than that uh, one instance, I never saw a lot of the stuff uh, that you had the pleasure of. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what's nice is that you and your siblings actually kind of occasionally sat down or sit down to to reminisce not reminisce that's a terrible word for this but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. just to kind of go over and share it right what about your father though did was he just kind of like I really don't want to talk about it or did he ever sit with you I think he was from the if I had sat and talked to him which unfortunately you know I lost my dad when I was 20 there were so many questions that I would have asked him that I can't now Mm -hmm. um but he was of an era that he, he was stoic. That's mm-hmm. just who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, this is life, and this is how you power through it, and, mm-hmm. and this is how you deal with it. I don't think it ever occurred to him that it would have been a good thing to really sit down and say, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Well, even for himself, I mean, I mean, he has this other family, right, so to speak. He's bringing you guys in, right? <coughs> He's dealing with cray cray and yet did he even tell the new wife that there was this issue with the old like there's so many things that were that he had to deal with it oh so um, she was aware yeah well and and i will say that um there are not fond memories of that particular stepmother oh so So it's not even like there was a better situation no no no. i think she married him to because she wanted stability she was a widow she wanted stability she wanted a father figure in the house for her to four daughters and the whole bit um she was not expecting to have two more girls put into her household Mm -hmm. so that marriage lasts three years oh wow so yeah it was and the girls were didn't care for my father um, Which must have been hard for you guys to even watch, I'm assuming. Well, I mean, they weren't overt about it. The older two pretty much just ignored the whole situation. The third one, um, apparently, again, oblivion, little girl, um, picked on my sister terribly. Mm. And the fourth one was my sister's age, because they were all older than us, and the youngest was my sister's age, and she was nice. She mm-hmm. was the nice one of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um 
But yeah, it was, they were not intending for us to move in. It put their house into an upheaval. Mm-hmm. Um, so it only lasted three years and that was that. Wow. And when your mom kind of came back, what did that mean? Like came back what? Like to actually live with the family again? No. Or Nope. Um, when she came back, dad was separated and divorced from the stepmother. Um, you were how old? 10 or 11. Mm, still pretty young. Yeah, and uh, so she, I don't remember where she lived, but she had different places in town that were for, you know, because again, she had me later in life because she was living in like elder communities, I guess, not senior, but elder. Um, She got a job actually helping out as a caretaker for people with um, developmental disabilities, with Down syndrome, and she felt very proud of that. She actually got her license. She had never driven um, she was very proud of herself. She got her license. So she really did get her life back in order. Um, and then she was that, you know, the roles were reversed. She had us for weekends. Um, we didn't always spend the night, but we would always have every other weekend with her. Occasionally we'd go out. I remember she used to take me bowling all the time. So that was our thing. Um, and things like that. And somewhere along the way she got into a good situation. But again, Things would be good for a couple of years. The meds would wear off, and she would have to go back and have mm-hmm. things going. So that probably went on until I was about 15, and then she had another break. Um, and that was, um, she was in a psycho ward. And I say that very honestly. It was a horrible, horrible place, and I was 15, and I still remember how disgusting and miserable. It was just a big open ward with half walls and just rows and rows of beds. And I couldn't believe that she was in there because she could speak to us and have conversations, but she said, I don't want to leave here. And, I mean, there was crazy people walking around, half-clothed sometimes, screaming, yelling, um, walking around in diapers and everything else. And she obviously didn't really need to be there, but for whatever reason, she decided that's where she wanted to be. And I don't know if she was trying to punish herself. I mean, she definitely was off her meds and and not taking care of herself. She couldn't live independently anymore, but that was not the situation for her. How how did she end up in that place? I don't even remember what precipitated that one, because I think I was, I think my dad probably had to do something. My brother was old enough, and at least he was back in Massachusetts. Um, So something, I'm sure, between my brother and my dad got her into, or, or she was still being watched out for by social services, so that could have been what happened. And that was just, like, the only open spot, or? Probably, at the time. Wow. So, and and here you are, fif- no older than 15, right, going mm-hmm. through going through the initial kind of, oh, she's okay, but, oh, she's broken, oh, she's okay, oh, she's broken, and then yeah. finally it completely breaks, right? Yep. That period is so, I mean, you've got two little kids, and I know they're not that age right now, but mm-hmm. that teenage period is so critical, right to your development what in the world were you thinking throughout that entire time like either of the situation going on or how it how what it meant for you in your own gene pool I don't think I ever thought of it in my gene pool until later but um in 
I was such a space cadet. <laughs> and I, well, you made up for it now. You're not such a space cadet. I have my moments still. Um, I think that was kind of my layer of protection, and, and I don't really thought about it too deeply, other than the fact that I knew I was different. I mean, how many people have your father as your custodial parent and your mother picking up for weekends and things like that. I knew I was different that way. I knew there was something different. I knew um, something wasn't quite right, but I didn't want to delve too deep because if you did, you find out more things right. that you don't want to know. Right. And I think when you're in your adolescence, it's all about you anyway. Right. So right. I was True. able to do that. Right. So when I was 15, I think I was fairly angry to find out that we had to suddenly deal with this. And I, I mean, we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went and did it and we dealt with it. And um, my brother thought it would be good I mean well he thought it would be good for all of us to visit her as a parent looking back I don't know if I would have made that same decision uh-huh. but have you asked him why he thought it would be good no no, no. but he just thought it was pretty important he to... was I think he was thinking for her welfare for her yeah so for her to see you guys because I think he had probably already tried to talk her out of that place because she was like no nope, I'm gonna stay here Okay, so hold on. So I misunderstood. So, yeah. I thought you guys kind of put her there, or your father, or whatever, right? Or social services yeah. put her there, and then she was like, "Nope, this is where I belong." But you're saying this was her choice. Well, I for think social service reason. put her there, and then she decided that's where and she, she deserved said to that's be. It. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and it was a miserable, horrible, yeah. disgusting place. It mm-hmm. really, really was. Did you did you visit her more than that first time, or was I think it like we went no? Two I don't times. think so. I think we went oh, two wow. times. What? Because I remember clearly. I remember clearly. The good places where you're like, hey, I could even stay in a room here. You know what I mean? And then I remember the bulk of them where it was like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. And you, for me, it was, it was such a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. I don't even, like, it, there are parts where I'm just like, just, just ton of vision. Get yeah. yourself through the hall. And, but for you, your experience, especially going back the second time. Where, where you know what you're going to encounter? Do you remember the feelings? The I just wanting to get her out of there so badly, and I don't know how we convinced her to leave or if we, you know, forced her to leave. I'm not sure, but I don't think she was there for too long. That's pretty interesting because for you, at that point, you were still in the mode of. Mom, I want to get you out of there. There's a better place. There's a, you know what I mean? Let me take mm-hmm. care of you kind of thing, even though you're 15. Uh, for me, at, at a certain point, it was keeper. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want her back <laughs> at all, right? Mm-hmm. So so did yours ever get to the point where you were like, I am done with this? Like, Well, I think we were fortunate in that my dad had custody. Yeah, but you were 20, and your dad's gone then, right? So so in those five years, your dad's still taking care of stuff. And you're still like, I want mom back, right? Is that a fair... Oh, I didn't want her back. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want her in there. Okay. I never really wanted her back as a parent because I knew she couldn't do it. Okay. On many different levels. I knew she wasn't able. I was perfectly fine with my father and her being that... Um, parent on the outside. Okay. I just wanted that situation back to a certain extent. And we were fortunate. She ended up getting into a residential program. Okay. Two towns over, a couple towns over, so we could still go visit her and mm-hmm. do things like that, and that worked out for her. But no, okay. I we knew she she wasn't capable of doing what needed to be done as a parent. 
Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that makes yeah. me, for a second, I thought you were a saint or something, but I should have realized who I was talking no. to. Now, I know you better than that. No. Yeah. Why do you think uh, I came to Chicago? Right. No. Okay. And here we go. Why do you think I came to Chicago? Why did you come to Chicago? Oh, well, of course, at the time I was in love and I thought this was going to be the answer. Um, but a part of it was when it didn't turn out to be the answer, it was kind of a challenge for me to stick around and stay. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed like each time that I would go and look to move home, I would get a good job offer. And so I would just stick around just a little longer, just a little longer. And mm -hmm. that's just kind of, and it just got harder and harder to make that jump back. Mm -hmm. But do you think it was partly because if you did go back, you would be closer to crazy? Uh, it, 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 yeah. <laughs> No simple way to put that. Yeah, I mean, it did make it a lot easier to deal with. Um, by the time I came out here, she she had, uh, we were in the process, I think we had moved her into the nursing home by that point. Her um, medical issues had gotten to a certain point. Her arthritis was bad. She had developed diabetes. Um, she had a little bit of hypertension. So there were some medical issues that, in the residential place, they're like, I think she needs this extra level. My brother was very, very resistant. Um, and I think it was, yeah, maybe I was out here already, but it was about that time that she had shifted, that I shifted out here, that she was shifting from residential into an, a nursing home, which is where she spent the remainder of her years, just not only for the mental illness, but she just had other issues that right. the residential happens, places right. were not comfortable yeah. dealing with. Yeah, yeah, understood. So. And, and you being the youngest, like there were others who might be uh, more equipped or more life experience to be able to handle some of that stuff, right? Yeah. Or I tried to be the, because of course my brother didn't like to deal with the personal items. <laughs> so I tried to insert myself at least as a distance. I would take care of her underclothes and you know, things like that yeah. and clothes and stuff like that. And obviously my two sisters would help out with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I did, you know, obviously still feel guilty because my brother got the brunt of it, obviously. My dad was gone, and, and so my brother got the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. And guilt, you know, <clears throat> guilt and shame and all that kind of crap, right? Mm -hmm. What what did you feel guilty for? What? I mean, I'm curious because I think we all... Oh, because, you know, honestly, looking back, who would have ever taken two small girls and left them alone with this woman who you knew had issues? But in the early 70s... Mm -hmm. That's what you did, number one. And number two, I, you know, I never had a conversation about it, but my thought was, my father was like, if I take her away, take these girls away, that's going to be the end of her. Oh. So I think to a certain extent, he was trying to look out for her. Mm -hmm. This is just what you did in the 70s. They mm -hmm. stay with the mom. And also, if he took, you know, the same thing when my dad got remarried. I mean, that put her over the edge. If, if he had taken us away right at the beginning, mm -hmm. probably would have put her over the edge probably at that point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you feel guilty because you were, like, trying to live your own life and that's oh, yeah. not allowed? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know it's not allowed, right? I mean, <laughs> we're, 
We're I, kidding, if anyone's... Yes. Yeah. No, I, I did feel guilty. I felt guilty my brother got the brunt of it, and he got the most of it, because part of me was just also very angry. It's like, you're in your... You know, because he is much older. You're in your 40s. You've lived your life. You've had your life. I'm going to be tied down, I'm sorry to say, right. in my right. 20s to this parent, and I just didn't... I. I was very angry about it, mm-hmm. and and right. uh, I don't know as if I ever verbalized that to him, but I was just like, I, I just want to have somewhat of a normal life. A normal life, <laughs> yeah. How how were you? So so let's talk about how did you how did you balance trying to have a normal life? What did that look like, and how was it impacted by not normal trying to continuously knock at your door? I think. Because she was in a separate situation and not living with us, it made it a lot easier in that respect. But I also, I remember spending one summer home from college that I was not far from, because I went two hours, an hour and a half away to go to school. And I spent that summer um, kind of doing the role reversal yet again, where I would go and visit her every Tuesday. And we would go and do something on Tuesday, and then like every other weekend, I try to find a way to to spend some time with her. And it was really good time, and we she was in a good place, and that worked out really well. And then I felt guilty when I went back to school, and I couldn't do it anymore. So and and then I didn't pick it up again the next summer because I was working hard, or you know, right. um, oh well. And then that was a time where Dad was very very ill, so he had he passed away when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So then there was that hanging over our heads too. Mm-hmm. What so. did he have? Like prostate cancer. Pros- oh, wow. So a year and a half after he was diagnosed, he passed away. So I was finishing up my junior year of college, and he died. So you're dealing, you're dealing with an illness that will never go away, right? And mm-hmm. it's just you can't fix the broken bone and be done with it on the mental, emotional, psychological side. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing now with, on the physical side, it's an illness that's not going to go away, but the end of this one is the end of the individual. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I know it's a horrible question to ask, but you know me. <laughs> I will ask. You don't have to answer it. But in my own experience, there were times where I wished she had cancer or something because I knew there was an end. You could you could be that loving giving daughter knowing that there was an end or even some some guidebook of here's what's going to happen in month 3, in month 4 versus what we were dealing with which never ended. Mm-hmm. Always you were waiting for that other shoe to drop, right? Did you ever like Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, a, a mental illness is horrible cuz I have conversations with my sister Judy, and she has such different memories of our mother because she grew up with a different mother, you know? Um, She talks about mom doing this and mom doing that, and mom used to sew clothes, mom used to do that, and I mean, I never got to see any of that stuff. So it does make me bitter in the fact that I didn't get to see the good side of mom that she did. Right, you didn't, yeah, you didn't, yeah. And so, you know, I said, now you're a mom. Mm Mm-hmm. What plays into your mind as you now take on the role of what a mom is, what a mom needs to be, what, you know, either by necessity or by even your own kind of thoughts of, no, no, I want to be the best mom I can versus the mom you grew up with. Does that play a a factor in how you raise your own kids or? I think parents always try to improve in what they add. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Um, I think my biggest struggle is that 
last year when he was turning seven was my trigger because that was the summer for me when everything fell apart. And I just look at him and go, wow, I can't believe I went through so much that summer. And I'm so grateful that he doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. And so for me to look at that, for me, that's my, my hardest thing is to not live in the past that way. Mm -hmm. And just appreciate that we're able to give him a cohesive home that's not falling apart, that's not crazy. And when you look at him, I mean, seven's pretty small. Like, yeah. But when you think of yourself at seven, like, you don't, you almost, you almost blame yourself for not doing more until you see seven. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that was probably the most emotional part is how... You know, you don't realize how little you are when you go through this stuff and how young you are when you go through the stuff that you go through. Right, right. So. Have you ever, you know, one of the things that I always was worried about was getting it myself. Part of even why I don't have kids, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but part was, you know what, I, so it was for me, my mom, my sister, my, right? And I, I was like, I'm, I can't do it a third time. Mm -hmm. You, similar, right? So... It's, Did you ever think? It's definitely a concern. It really is a concern. And um, I've had at least one niece who has had um, depressive issues and she had made it through. But at least in my anecdotal um, past, the people that I have known that have gone through this, it seems like they've had a trauma that I think you're predisposed to it. But I think that trauma can trigger it. And you've talked about your mother in Sicily right. and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. My mother lost her father when she was, I think, eight years old. And they ended up living, my uncle said one time, like 30 different homes over a few-year period because they were, you know, she had nowhere else to go. She had two small kids, and you're living in all these, on the grace of good people and everything else. And so... Really, who knows what may have happened in that whole thing. And, of course, for three years, not having a stable home, not essentially being homeless, but you don't think of it that way because she always had a bed to sleep in, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. But I often wonder if that was something that right. triggered it. Right, that and ignited it, that spark. And my sister's done some genealogy, and there's definitely some interesting things that have happened in the family tree that makes you wonder that, yes... Right. There's probably a train of some genetics in there, but I, I would like to think that if I can somewhat shield my children from trauma... Right. <laughs> there's a better is, chance. It's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, that hopefully they'll... Right. And I mean, right. I guess my whole thing for them is I try to make them as resilient and as strong as I can mm -hmm. so that if they do have hardships, they can come out on the other side okay. Mm -hmm. And know that they have somebody... <coughs> they can come to mm. without being fearful, without thinking, you know, wow, that's a, I'm adding some kind of weird stigma or something. Mm -hmm. and, and somebody who will understand and have that knowledge of what to do, like what's the next steps, what's the smartest way to deal with yeah. this, you know, make it a safe zone kind yeah. of thing, you know. Now, now I want to ask you, you um, also had, and we don't have to talk about this, but you yourself have had some issues with a different kind of mental mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. Do you want to touch on those? And 
Yeah, and I can't even tell you because I've been through much more trying situations before and afterward, mm -hmm. and why that particular situation mm -hmm. sent me spinning mm -hmm. into a very sad place, I have no idea. But but let's kind of set the stage huh. that situation. So for for everyone kind of listening, Patty and I worked at a, the same place, mm -hmm. um, different roles, different departments, mm -hmm. and we just became friends. Um, ultimately, Patty uh, moved in with me. We were roomies for a while. Um, and the, the situation where we worked was, um, let's just say, uh, kind of dysfunctional on, on different levels. And perhaps for Patty, it was just a different <laughs> level of dysfunction. They were asking uh, a lot mm -hmm. for the amount of time that I had. Right, right. So. And so... What happened? Because for somebody so accomplished and so um, so equipped to handle a lot, right? Because you had to not only professionally but personally, right? Juggler, etc. Mm -hmm. What what happened? Because this this whole topic also fascinates me because I myself, being pretty high functioning, had my own scary bunny hole <laughs> moments. Um, and I, I want to explore this because a lot of people think, and this is my opinion, a lot of people may think that, oh, if I'm strong and I can do it all and, you know, I'm, that's never going to touch me. I'm never going to be depressed. Just get yourself out of bed and get dressed and get going, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes the stronger people because they're trying to do it all on their own and nobody like you feel almost as if you you know what it's like when someone needs help and and how much time that takes you don't want to bug anybody else because you're the one now who oh, needs yeah. the help right so so set the stage for kind of what happened to you well i think part of it also is my sister was struggling back home and, and by struggling you mean she actually I don't know if you could call them suicide attempts, but she was cutting herself, and we didn't understand at that time what cutting was. Um, she, this is Dorothy, your closest sibling. Yes, okay. yes. Um, she was going through some terrible times, and I was a thousand miles away. I didn't know what I could do for her. Um, she was having her own trials and tribulations, and it was very stressful for me. Um, I had broken up with a guy that um, I had come out here, so that whole thing blew out. But, I mean, I'd broken up with guys before. Um, I can't even remember. And, I mean, it just seemed like everything came crashing at once. I mean, for all I know, Mom was having another crisis. Who knows? Um, I think I was feeling guilt for being out there um, and all that other stuff. And then they just kept asking more and more. And I do remember going to the president of the company and saying, look, I've got a lot coming down here. Um, I just need a little space and a little room. And he said, sure, fine, sure, fine. And it still just kept coming. And I think that was part of it, was just all of that. So it just came crashing. And it, it could have been just the fact that for so long, you know, you're, you're strong for so long, you keep going, you keep going, and finally this is your, your tipping point where enough is enough. Mm -hmm. And so. so, number one, when you ask for help, hey, nothing. <laughs> nothing to see here. <laughs> but when you ask for help, and and even people are like, yeah, sure, but they never deliver, mm -hmm. right? Oh, then yeah. you're like, oh, wait, okay, so I already tried that route, or, you know, oh, I'm an idiot for trying that route, right? Mm -hmm. And you're dealing with it on your own. And then you said that was the tipping point, right? What did your tipping point look like? What was the ultimate 
the the lowest uh, level in the basement that you went to? I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think I had a huge crash or anything else. It was just hard to get out of bed. Oh, I know what finally put me over where I finally left and didn't come back to work. I went back home for a vacation, and all I could think about was my job. And it wasn't like I had a high-powered job. It wasn't like people were depending on me or anything else, but all I could do was worry about that job. I couldn't relax and spend time with my family and, and just enjoy my vacation. All I could think about was all the stuff that I had to get done back right. back at where we were working. And I think that was finally, I was like, okay, I, I can't do it anymore. Right. And at, Well, and the other thing is walking through those doors just made me cry. Just the thought of walking through the doors would make me cry. And for me, that was the final point of, I can't do this anymore. And again, I don't know why, because I've had much more stressful jobs. I've had much more um, places where people have depended on me and everything else. And why I put it on myself, as well as, yes, it was being put upon me, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. I remember, so when we were living together, I do remember you You had just, it was almost as if um, you had, I don't want to use the word given up, but like you had given up. Like I kind of shut down. You completely shut down. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. And it was, it was a challenge to even know what to do or say, knowing that there were so many things that people say that are stupid, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, don't say that. Okay, don't say that. But it's so <laughs> funny because it's like naturally you want to like say something, right? Oh yeah. Like, you know, like here's here's a piece of cake, Patty. It'll make you feel better, right? And, <laughs> and yeah, which doesn't really work. Um, so so how did you then um, get yourself out of bunny hole? Oh well, someone I know referred me to a very good psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she was very instrumental in just getting me to realize that, you know, it, it wasn't my crap. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not, um, and just kind of helped me dig my way up out of a hole. I can't, I can't even say I didn't have this big aha moment. It was just realizing how to do self-care and realizing to look out for myself and realizing that my sister's problems were not my problems and that my mother's problems were not my problems, mm-hmm. which was hard. And it still is hard because you want to be there for your family members. But at that point, I just couldn't do it. Right. In fact, I didn't tell anybody what was going in my family mm-hmm. um, through that whole thing. I think I think I probably told Dorothy soon about the time where I started to feel better, but I didn't tell mm-hmm. my brother, my sister, my stepmother. Mind you, I have a wonderful stepmother now, mm-hmm. not the horrible one. <laughs> um, and I didn't tell people for a long time because it, it's, it's a very shameful thing. And you, like you said, and um, before, you know, you don't want to go down that road. You don't want to imagine yourself being there. And, that's, and I think that was the other thing is that fear of, oh, God, is this going to happen to me? Right. You know, and I think I always knew... I wasn't, but it's always still there. Yeah. It is always still there. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I heard you say something about celebrating your 30th, and I had four parties Yeah. Um, when I turned 30 <laughs> for a very similar reason. Again, I knew I didn't have that kind of mental illness, but just the fact that right. you made it through to the other side yeah. was a huge relief. Mm-hmm. It really, really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And um, and honestly, you know, just to take a, a minute to shout out um, to Lynn, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who um, I, I think we've kept her in business for a while. You, me, a whole bunch of other um, connections. But uh, she there are there are people who become therapists who 
maybe that's not their highest calling. Um, and I've seen some of those. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think people are out there seeing some of those people and, and not even realizing that maybe there are the other ones who will help you get to the other side. And so they kind of give up, right? It's kind of like, no, mm-hmm. therapy didn't work for me. But Lynn, mm-hmm. um, I think, was meant to do what she does. And she is unique in really drilling down to you, your experience, what you're going through, and helping you get out. <coughs> um, so kudos to her. For me, oh, it was yeah. a lifesaver. So, so Well, and I'm a very logical, pragmatic kind of person. <laughs> I think for me it was, she said, okay, to do this paperwork, to do the, the disability, and that was, taking that disability for a little while was a bit of a uh, shot in the ego, yes. to say the least. But she made me fill out, like, a form. And uh, I remember putting on paper, you know, you have to say, you know, have you had these kind of things? And, and is getting out of bed hard? Is doing this hard? Is doing that hard? And to see that actually put it on paper was like a bit stunning because you realize it's like, okay, if I'm going to be very honest about this stuff, wow, this is, this is where I am right now. And right. it's just a rotten place to be. And I think for me, that was to accept that I had done a little bit of therapy in college, just trying to deal with some issues. But that was the first time where it was truly depressive and realizing, okay, it's, it's time. You need to really take a look and, mm-hmm. and uh, take care of yourself properly mm-hmm. here. And to actually, A, have some a support person, right, who can kind of help you walk through that without, like, <laughs> losing your shit that, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I am this, right? I am, I am. It's sort of like, um, it's sort of like, you know, in my mind, here, there's a great example. In my mind, um, when I had my wedding uh, and we did the orchestrated uh, dance, the wedding dance, in my mind, when I was doing the dance, I thought I looked like, you know, dancing with the stars, right? But then when you play it back on video and you see yourself, you're like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? I'm not nearly as graceful no, as I thought. Not at all, yeah. No one is seeing that video. But um, but in, in this case, actually, there's always that denial, right? Like, no, I can't be. No, I can handle it on my own. No, I can't. Oh, yeah. You don't want to do that. When you are forced to, whether it's write in or tick off boxes, and you do realize, wait a minute, this is something that's documented that people have, right? Just mm-hmm. like a broken bone, cancer, etc. I've got this, mm-hmm. so I need I need the treatment to get better. And yet, when it's something that's mental, emotional, whatever we're calling it, psychological, there is such shame and stigma. Why Why do you think that is? Versus, I mean, okay, we both worked at a place that dealt with people who are blind or visually impaired, right? <coughs> Nobody was pointing to them and saying, you know, why can't you just, like, you know, wake up, put those glasses on and see something, right? No, of course mm-hmm. not. But but to those with a mental health issue, it's why can't you just get up out of bed and, right? So mm-hmm. why, and, and that you don't even want to admit that you've got that issue, why is it, in your opinion, like so different between a physical illness getting treatment and the mental, emotional, psychological? I don't know. It's the, the big question of the whole thing. And, you know, why can't you just be stronger? You know, and, and that's where it really comes down to is you, some people can deal with it and go forward and they're stronger and some people just don't have those skills. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, it's seen as a flaw if you can't go forward and doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, at least 
it seems like um, it's almost a good thing to have a diagnosis of bipolar or schizophrenia and things like that but if just plain old depression it still seems to be an issue right you know why can't you just do it i i had a conversation with my brother because you know he's been very fortunate that he hasn't had these kind of issues to my knowledge and i remember him getting frustrated with my sister who just couldn't seem to get out of her own way and he said well why can't she do this i said because that's part of it why can't she do this that's she can't do that it just you don't understand how hard it is to Mm get out of bed every day and do what you're supposed to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just is what it is and it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been through it right and what's the best thing in your mind like what do you wish somebody would have said to you or what's like a piece of advice to anyone who is dealing with someone else who is depressed or who is or even themselves right what thoughts do you have on what should be said what should be said (laughs) sorry (laughs) that's okay actually you know what there's like a um do you hear that like or am i hearing voice (laughs) he's watching the tablet oh okay (laughs) like okay is there i heck if i know if you hear like um voices in the background it's not patty or me (laughs) it's not our our, uh imaginary friend no he's fine don't worry about it okay um more than anything else i Seeing what happened with my sister, my stepmother tried to get her help, and she lived with her for a while. My She lived with my brother for a while. He tried to get her help and everything else. And at least for her, she was the one who found the program that worked for her. Um, she really was the one who pulled herself up and out. Um, everybody is different. I mean, you can offer the programs, you can put it out there and everything else. I guess more than anything else... Just um, make sure that they know there's resources out there mm-hmm. um, and offer them up. But, you know, you, a stupid saying, you can't lead a horse to water. They have to make that decision because if they're not going to commit to it and want to do it, I don't see an easy way of right. doing it. I mean, yes, you can commit somebody against their will mm-hmm. and you can get them to a certain point, but somewhere along the way, mm-hmm. they have to just do it. Right, 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 right. Well, I, I do remember... Um, with <laughs> we have a, a cat who's uh, performing for us. Let's just say that <laughs> playing for, with his tail, and he's angry at his tail. Anyway, um, but that's a whole nother podcast on yeah. animals and their psychosis. But uh, so I remember with my little sister, did everything for her, and by everything I mean actually, I mean from. From financial, yes, right? you know, uh, paying for everything, um, navigating medical systems, navigating the mm-hmm. psych system, dealing with uh, neighbors, housing, like doing everything. I'm not saying perfectly, but everything. Yeah, and it didn't matter because, and that's a sad statement to make because you are 100 percent right. It has to be within an individual, whether it's you, me, them, to actually want to do all the hard work to get themselves out of their current situation. Whatever madness that might be, mm-hmm. whatever form that might take, there's, <coughs> I, I know of too many people, even now, who have like a daughter, a, a whatever it is, that's dealing with stuff and 
they are asking, what what else can I do? Why can't I? I can't fix her. I can't. No, you can't. You can't. And that's mm-hmm. got to be the toughest pill for anybody to swallow, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, and now what? No. Um, all right. So, very, very. Let's call it. Let's not call it odd. Let's call it serendipitous that the two of us ever even met. Yeah. The fact that our lives, like, it's like parallel lives mm-hmm. in in many many ways. Um, not only a parent, but a sibling and ourselves. Mm-hmm. And yet we've both come out kind of the other side, right? And a little more damaged, but yes. <laughs> well, you know what? Stronger. Okay. Stronger, right? Yeah. So no, I don't regret. Right? I mean, it is what it is, and that's who we are. Right. Right. And that has made us, in great part, who we are true yes I mean oh definitely so, yeah and and in my mind too you know one of the things that has kind of um helped me is almost like you know not not to run away from it right mm-hmm. and just to realize like this sounds well ironically it sounds crazy but to to make friends with the madness like that part of you because because look I don't care who you are everybody has this yeah right this black white dark light whatever we want to call it um in them there if you i think it's that whole concept of um what you resist persists and that goes for not acknowledging that maybe there's something right but also not being so afraid of it that that everything you think is like oh my god i'm mentally ill right it's mm-hmm. you know it's just it's life Right? It's that whole up and down. It is who we are. I right. mean, there's just no two ways about right. it. Right. No. Well, and I and I like who you are, so. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Notice she like didn't you. say that. She, <laughs> right. <laughs> I was waiting for that, that reverse compliment, but okay. Parents. Well, if you fish for it, no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think it also, um, you know, as we've said, we've both run into people in similar situations, and suddenly it just like, bing, oh, yes, I had a similar situation. Right. Yeah. It's like, I knew I liked you for a reason. Right, exactly. And it really it really yeah. does kind of come down to that, is, is you're, you are who you are from your experiences. Right, right. And for you and, and your experiences and, and who you have um, grown into being, do you see it as some piece of the puzzle in terms of what your purpose is or what you're doing with your life or not that not that you should or or might at this point but do you think to yourself huh no i mean it seemed like when i was a kid i was the one that everybody would like spill their guts to and i remember being a little uncomfortable in the beginning, but just because I was kind of an introvert introvert and quiet and everything else, I would just listen to it, and they'd be like, you know, you're the really nicest person. It's like, I just don't know what else to say to you. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, I felt like for a while there, that was kind of my role in life. And I don't know, maybe I'll come back around to it right now. Things are just very busy and, mm-hmm. and the whole bit. But, mm-hmm. yeah, now I hate to say it, I've become selfish in my life, and I'm doing things for myself, and... Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, 
I'd like to think I have a good circle of friends and mm-hmm. they could come to me at any time. But as a purpose in life, no, I don't see myself being quite that lofty. Yeah, well, <laughs> and you know what? I'm not, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to say I don't view it as um, as lofty, and I know you were joking. Yes. I don't view it as lofty if if that purpose is to, like, actually help others through it, which you don't know right now, right? Yeah. What it might even evolve into, if anything. But the one thing I do want to kind of underscore um, with you is I am actually really glad that you said you're being selfish. And I I don't view that at all as selfish like the way Mm -hmm. most people kind of interpret that word because what I know is had my mother been more selfish right maybe even yours maybe you yourself at the job had you been more selfish or had more self-care maybe you wouldn't have gone down that bunny hole right Mm -hmm. to even start with because there's got to be that that putting on your own oxygen mask before you help others, yeah, right? Definitely. And I think too often caregivers, we forget that. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. And that's when not only can we not help others, but we we get lost ourselves. You know, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Like Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So now being selfish, that's gonna be the the target, the intention for every single day. <laughs> I'm Sound good? good at that. <laughs> I, my family would tell you I'm very good at that. <laughs> Being the youngest in my family, yes, I'm kind of used to uh, getting my own way. <laughs> so, um, no. Yeah, well, that's why you have children, to show you <laughs> that you're not going to get your own way. <laughs> yes, and we have that conversation a lot. <laughs> uh, yes. Is there anything else that you maybe want to kind of touch on that I'm hoping to talk about that I didn't ask. I had no idea where you were going to go with this other than, you know, the whole madness thing. No, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm i trying to think, um, just trying to, to, you know, the climate as it is these days is very hateful. And um, I just, we, we can use more kindness and people you, you see it on Facebook and Instagram all that you never know what somebody else is going through mm-hmm. so and I try to keep that in mind when I see things happen and I also try to keep it in mind when I have my kids out and something happens and I'm just like let's just be kind Chill. more than anything else right but yeah um and try to live my life that way mm-hmm. all right well thank you thank you and thank if you anybody out there um, if this resonates, if you've got a story to tell, um, do share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Until we meet again. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Madness to Magic and my podcast, I'm with Crazy, a love story. I believe we're all here for a purpose, and I know that this is part of mine. Please share this with anyone you think might benefit or might even have a story of their own to share. You also can visit me at madnesstomagic.com or check out more of my stories, including info on my book, The S Word, at paulinamilanawrites.com. I hope to hear from you and to join forces with what I consider a unique caregiver tribe as we all learn to embrace all of ourselves, to have compassion for others, and to come into our full power by the grace that is both madness and magic. Until we meet again, I'll leave you with one of my favorite mantras. Be bold, and mighty forces shall come to your aid. Thank you.